Welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Charles Sheeland. And I'm the other host, Asia Bonilla. We're back this week starting our last Flamel book. I can't believe we're already here, but yay! Today we're starting book six of The Secrets of the Immortal Nicholas Flamel, The Enchantress. And today we'll be discussing the first half of Sophie's book, which was chapters one through 40. Yeah, as I was reading, it didn't feel like that long of a reading because it was basically just a page turner with a bunch of action. But for those of you who know, I write the outline, so it was actually like a harder outline to write because we have so many moving parts. It's not like we had chunks of chapters in one area. It was like every chapter we switched back to different characters. But we'll get into those moving parts, and I think that, as you'll see, like there wasn't actually a lot of actual things that happened. It was a lot of prep work, basically. But... Just for anyone who's new to our show, we're a podcast on the Nerd Party Network. We are best friends, and we're reading and rereading young adult literature from our childhood and adolescence, and we're sharing these books with each other. So like Asia said, today we're starting our last book of The Secrets of the Immortal Nicholas Flamel by Michael Scott, which I originally read when I was in middle school. We started the show with a series that I had read before and Charles read for the first time, and now we're almost done with the Flamel books, which I'm reading for the first time. And as the newcomer to the series, I get to give a quick plot summary for anyone who needs a refresher of the main plot points of the reading. Also, our next series, which we announced last week, is my love, the Twilight series, which Charles has never read before. So for those eight weeks, thank goodness he will be back on summary duty. But, like you said before, this one is kind of hard to summarize, so might as well just jump right into it. So, in San Francisco, we have the crew on the island trying to beat the monsters. We have Paranel and Nicholas trying to help them. But Quetzalcoatl and Bastet are also releasing monsters on the mainland. So, Sagaglalal, Prometheus, and Niten are going to deal with those. And then back on Donutalus, we have the Fab Five with young Prometheus prepping for battle with a young Hecate and a young Mars. We also have a lot of time with Isis, Osiris, and the twins. They leave D to die, and Virginia changes alliances twice. And we find out that Sophie and Josh are the twins of legend, which I predicted. And essentially the time stream involved in the twins going back, and this time they can either fight and have Donatalus fall, or they can change the time stream forever. There's a lot more, so this summary is really one of our more lacking ones, but I'm sure we will discuss those things as we get through it. But anyway, quickly, I'll just give my impressions of the reading. And I just gathered a lot of evidence for hopefully for my theory of Marethi's identity, but we'll save that for the end of the episode. That was literally all I cared about during the reading. I just want to know who he is. So everything else was irrelevant in my mind. (laughs) Well, I can't wait to hear all this evidence. But yeah, we should definitely save it for the end. I don't actually have much to say either. Like I said earlier, like it just the reading very much feels like we're building towards something huge, which makes sense. This is our second to last reading. We're finishing the series next week. So it makes perfect sense that this reading is like, there's not that many exciting things happening. It's like we're prepping for the resolution of six books of work. So lots of act, short action chapters, but let's just go ahead and dive right in. We start with Isis and Osiris, 
who we think are Richard and Sarah Newman. They're Josh and Sophie's parents, but they're kind of like a dark version of them. Like if you ever had like Pokemon cards and like there's like, if you had like a dark Charmander, it's kind of like the same vibe I've gotten a little bit. But like basically they're, they start by punishing D. They like make him age really quickly and then they're like, come on, kids, let's just go. And then they're like, Virginia, you you would be useful, too. And Virginia's like, okay, as long as you, like, mind your own business, I'll go with you. She just flips right away. Yeah. And as terrible as Dee is, I was totally with Sophie in that moment when she was kind of feeling guilty about how killing him with old age just seemed particularly cruel and unnecessary, like... If they really wanted him dead, they should have just killed him. It was just like, you know, that cruel and unusual punishment. So I'm totally with her on that one. I think it was too far. Yeah, and even she says something. She's like, Dee's a bad person. He deserve, he can, deserves to die. But Osiris is like, personally, I think I could have been way more cruel to him considering the headache he's been causing me for 500 years. And it was, you know, as we've always discussed, like the uh, the elders are just, they're not sensitive. They're not, you know... Even if you hate, even if you're frustrated, if you're, like, disappointed in him, like, that punishment is so awful. Like, Dee's chapter is when he's in that, like, age state. is oh, it's so awful. Yeah. And it gets even worse because Dee finds out that Josh had the pages, the last two pages of the Codex, the whole time. Like, what bitter irony. But let's stick with Isis and Osiris because even though they're Sophie and Josh's parents, they're really, really evil. Yeah. And I think we'll get more explanation of this as the reading goes on. But basically, Isis and Osiris reveal that they've been planning this time stream with the twins coming back since Danutalis fell the first time. And now they've come out of their evil shadows to reveal their master plan. Yeah, and clearly no one on Danutalis seems to like them, but everyone kind of fears them. But also, I no one really knows, like, who they are and, like, their connection to everybody else. Yeah. And I think that's a really, really astute point, Asia. Like, specifically, then, no one knows their connection. Like, we just kind of assume they're dark elders because Bastet's, like, they're important elders and they'll help out. Um, so that was a really good point. And, like I said, I, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but we'll talk. They'll definitely be more revealed about Isis and Osiris and their identities next um next reading but there definitely is a clear sense that they are unliked they're sort of they're feared rather than admired and that's where their position of power comes from mm-hmm. but so that i don't spoil anything and i don't want to jump too far ahead to that big conversation they have in the house but basically we should jump back to the present really quickly Okay, yeah, so basically we get a bunch of chapters of Nicholas and Paranel and company. They are wanting to defeat the monsters, but not really taking any action yet about it. And Nicholas does become a parrot to go see the island, which I thought was kind of cool because, you know, it was a good idea, like how, I don't know if he said it or any 10 said it, like how they want to make sure they can see the battlefield before they go. But they didn't, we just didn't get into the reading where they actually got to really fighting monsters yet. Yeah, I I agree. Like, I thought it was actually really clever. The, like, the, you're right, the sort of battle recon was good, especially because they found out that Machiavelli is on their side, and they found out they haven't found Ariopinop yet. 
But, like, it felt a little dragged out. It was just, like, it was a pretty long. Like, we had many chapters of them. Like, we're sitting on the dock, and now we're waiting, and then we're talking to Best Out on the phone, and then we're sitting at the cafe, and this was terrible coffee. But I think, if anything, like, because I think Michael Scott might have dragged that out a little bit because it's really likely that Paranel and Nicholas are going to die. Like, they're talking about this is their last, you know, they only have, like, 18 hours left. So I feel like we're, even though we're not getting a lot of action, we're getting a lot of moments of them together, like, kind of last moments together. It's sweet. Yeah. It is sad, though. Because you're right, they probably are going to snuff it. (laughs) Oh, gosh. But I did really like the part with Nicholas as a parent because he helps Odin and Mars kill, like, the giant boar. And I don't know. I just really found that kind of funny. Like, just this tiny parrot that has Nicholas possessing it, basically, like, jumps in so that they can kill it. I don't, I don't know. I just thought that was funny. It, it, it was definitely a nice moment of levity because we don't have any other levity in this whole reading. And like I mentioned, I'm really glad that Paradell was like, guys, Ariapanop is right here. She's a very powerful elder. Like, and she's a good guy. Like, go get her. So I'm glad that, like, especially using the parrot, like, they were able to get that message across. We haven't seen her taken out of her cocoon yet, but, like, we see Machiavelli finding her old prison, and we, I believe the parrot led Mars over there so that they know where she is. So it's like, use all the allies you can get. Mm-hmm. Also, one of the other funny moments, though, I just I know I just said there weren't that many moments of levity, but another one was Niten and Prometheus and Nicholas and Paranel are all sitting on the dock, and they're like, it starts getting foggy because Quetzalcoatl summons in this fog, and Paranel's like, it smells like either Bastet or Quetzalcoatl, and Prometheus is like, well, they hate each other, so it's definitely one or the other, but it's not both of them. And I, as soon as I wrote, as soon as he said that, I wrote down, I was like, it must be both of them. And then it was. I mean, we knew that he'd called Bastet already, but like, it was really funny that he was like, it can't be both of them. And, you know, of course it was. And then they plant some like gross, like teeth that are going to make these crocodile creatures, the Spartoi, that Nitan and Prometheus are going to have to go fight. That moment kind of reminded me of in Percy Jackson where they bring the, like, skeleton warriors. They, like, plant the bones or something. Oh, my God. You're so right. When they're in D.C. When we were reading it, that's how I was like, this is really similar. Natural History Museum. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You're so right. I didn't even think of that. But anyway, the fight on the bridge doesn't go too well, so we might as well just tie it up. But they aren't doing a bad job, all things considered, but they're greatly outnumbered. Like, it's just Niten and Prometheus against, like, I think there's, like, 12 of them or something. 32. Oh, my God. 32. I thought it was 32. No, you're right. It's 32. I forgot. I I got the two, the last (laughs) number, but, yeah, it's 32. So it's a lot of them. But so it's obviously clearly very, they're unfairly matched, but they seem to be holding their own. And we find Tagaglulal, she does her, like, like I'm, she has to, like, fake her own death, as, you know, immortals have to do all the time. And then she goes and puts on these fancy armor. And then she's, like, going to go help defeat the monsters on the island. And then she, like, smells the spar toy. And she's like, well, just kidding. Got to go do that. We haven't seen her fighting yet, but I can't wait. Like, she's going to go over to the bridge and help them out. I can't wait. She's going to eat it up. 
Can we just talk about, though, how, like, that whole moment of her in the house, like, she takes off her wig and then, like, forces hair to grow out of her head. Like, that was really weird. Like, I cannot imagine. Like, in a movie scene, it would be kind of creepy, like, how she's, like, literally making herself youthful again. Like, because how she said, like, she's one of the first people, so, like, they're basically made out of clay. I mean, again, not to be a Harry Potter buff, but, like... It's kind of like Polyjuice Potion. Anytime they take the potion, they're like skin bubbles, and then, ooh, they're a new person. Yeah, but, like, she can do it at will, so that that was what yeah. was just crazy to me. Exactly. No, it was kind of gross. Also, like, the way she's like, yep, I'm just very used to killing my care, like, killing the identity I have. She's like, you got to transfer your assets to this person, and then make sure you have the money in the next life, and got to get a new passport. And, oh, my God, it's so hard with security cameras. And it's like, wow, these days it will be even harder because everyone has a smartphone. Like, yeah. No, it was actually a really fascinating chapter where she's talking about, like, immortals having to like kill themselves off so that they can keep living forever yeah and like some of them like have pretty prominent positions like machiavelli is the head of the french secret service like you're like you would be like there'd be like a background check on you but i guess you know if you're rich enough you can kind of just like create a whole new identity for yourself yeah anyway let's go back to donna tallis because virginia makes a fascinating babysitter and like we said there's not really that much fighting happening in san francisco but the main thing I noted in Donatellus was how Sophie forgives Josh, Josh's betrayal, just, like, way too easily. Like, she's just so quick to forgive. Yeah. Little Kanye moment. I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> I agree with you. But Josh and Sophie have not spoken to each other. Because I was thinking about this as I was reading it because it also was really drawing for me. They haven't really spoken since they were in Prometheus's Shadow Realm in San Rafael. Right? Like, back when the witch, I think it was yeah. in San Rafael. If I'm wrong, don't judge I mean, me I don't too remember harshly. where, because, you know, I'm not paying attention to details like that. <laughs> but it was back when Josh, they were like, before Josh got awakened with, got fire magic, he was like, the witch of Endor gave you the memories, and Par- and Par- Sophie's like, don't worry, Paranel said they can't take over. And Josh is like, it's all part of Paranel's plan. And then he goes and gets fire magic from Prometheus. But that's really the last time they spoke, because right afterwards... Josh gets possessed by Mars. He goes to D. And then he sees Sophie when they're fighting Quatlicue, but he doesn't talk to her. And then they, like, when they're on Alcatraz, they kind of, like, have, like, three words back and forth where they're like, come with me. No, I must go. And they both go together. But it's basically been since halfway through the Necromancer, like a book and a half ago that they last spoke. And Sophie's just so, so easy to forgive Josh. She's like, yeah, so much has happened. Who can remember? Yeah, I didn't realize, I didn't think about that, that that was the last time they talked, but, like, even hearing that makes me even more angry at that she forgave him so easily. He did not deserve it. Like, and that was one, this is one of those things that I definitely didn't realize that the first time I read the series, and I think that also might have to do with the fact that I had to wait each year for the Warlock and then for the Enchantress to come out. Mm -hmm. But, like, reading it in succession for the podcast, I was like, they have not spoken, like, we haven't spoken about them two together since we talked about that conversation where Josh is being so obstinate and sexist against Paranel and Sophie, like they haven't had a conversation in almost two books and Sophie's so forgiving. I just like, I understand. I feel like, you know, when they saw each other on Alcatraz, she's like, I'm going with you. Cause like, she doesn't want to get left behind again, but how can she just forgive him? Like nothing happened when he literally turned his back on her to go with the bad people. Like, I don't know. I just Josh for murder. 
I mean, we'll see how their relationship plays out at the end of the book. Because remember how we talked about this a couple episodes ago, whatever, about how I feel like if she just forgives him, like, to me, that does show the... the Immaturity or younger targeted audience. Yeah. The younger targeted audience. Because I was like, you're you're taught as a child, like, to forgive. But, like, for something like that, even if... Not saying she can't ever forgive him, but to just forgive him so easily. Like, he didn't even apologize. He literally didn't even apologize. Like, that to me is ridiculous because that's letting yourself just get walked all over. She totally, totally is because he's like, I don't understand how she could turn so evil like that. And she's like, how could Josh turn his back on me? And he doesn't even justify. He doesn't even say, well, I saw Coatlicue, this beautiful woman, you are beating her. Because if he'd said that. They don't even talk about it. They didn't even freaking talk they about it. They didn't even it. have a conversation on it. They were just like, hey, what's up? Glad to be <laughs> back. Like, like as if it never happened. Reunited at last. <laughs> Which is just not like you have to work through those issues. They're just they're going to bubble up at another time. Well, keep reading. I'm pretty sure you're going to get a resolution on that. Okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And if but, not, we'll judge the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. But then we find out that Isis and Osiris are really into the whole gold and silver thing. Like the Sophie and Josh's rooms are gold and silver. The dishes are gold and silver. Like they just really go in full out with <laughs> the symbolism of gold and silver. They were like, we have to have gold dishes for one child and silver dishes for the other. Like they went, it was, yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> hmm and then also, on another note, Virginia, she talks about, she discusses how, like, Donutalis is just like any other advanced civilization where people are divided into classes, you know, certain people are seen as above others. But then she says, she makes another comment saying it's better to be feared than loved. So if she, you know, gets to rule her own shadow realm, like, as the empress or whatever, I don't see how that could be any different if anything, maybe she's saying that, you know, instead of having classes, everyone would be equal and just she would be above everyone else as like a solo tyrant. But like she kind of was saying contradicting statements. She's like this Donald Hollis is just like everywhere else where like people are divided. But like she still sees herself as above others. So maybe there just won't be as many classes, but she would always be above everyone else like in her world. Yeah. And that's how most tyrants start in the world his in world history, like in society, most tyrants start by pointing out existing inequities and wanting to rectify them. That's how populist, like that's how communism starts. Like you're yeah. like, this is so unequal. Some people are having an advantage if everyone just makes the same thing. But then of course there are always gonna be some people who are like, Well, I deserve more. I mean, that's even how populism, you know, in the United States has also grown. It's like you're like, I've been left out of the conversation for so long. And but then they're always like that's how literally all tyrants start is like pointing out existing inequities and then being like, I can solve them alone. And but, you know, they will always want to be above others. And like, you know, even when she gets that tablet from Abraham and he's like, I know that you've been like looking to like be a part of something. I was like, I mean, she's kind of in like a little selfish, though. Like, I'm I'm, I'm glad that Abraham like sees that, you know, like there's potentially good in her. But like. The character that we've gotten so far has been very self-serving and manipulative and capable of great harm. I'm like, I don't know if she's the nicest person or the most deserving of her own world to rule. And 
you know, then when Isis and Osiris, like, have those, like, half-animal, half-human servants, and she's like, oh, I'm so against these experiments. They're so inhumane. And I was like, it's a little rich for Virginia to have this moral high ground all of a sudden after, like, she just killed a Neriad, you know? Like, I felt like Virginia got, a, like, a pretty nice redemption-y arc this book so far. Even after we literally see her, she just leaves D to die. Like, I'm not saying Dee's a nice person, and I'm not saying that she should, like, rot in prison or be executed for, like, bad things she's done. But it was like, she's gotten a really nice deal so far. Yeah, especially because it's almost like how Michael Scott has written her. A lot of what we've seen and been shown is she's a very self selfish, self-serving character. But then as she meets Marethew and Abraham, they talk about how she was kind of, like, really nice to the Native Americans and stuff and, like, Maybe in her past she was very helpful. So it's kind of like mm-hmm. the showing versus telling. Like you're telling us she did these things, but based on what you showed us, that doesn't really speak to her character. Like that doesn't necessarily make sense. Sure. I agree. Anyway, she does end up escaping Isis and Osiris. And that's when Marethew approaches her and telling her that she needs to be the leader of the common men and women of Danutalis. So I'm assuming that means she's going to lead them in the battle against Isis and Osiris. And I guess we just have to wait for that. Like, that was kind of interesting. Yeah. We kind of get, like, that Aten Marethu conversation in the prison where they're like, Anubis is going to, or Bastet is going to put forward Anubis. And Isis and Osiris are going to put forward the twins. And the twins might go with Isis and Osiris because they're their parents. And Marethew's like, well, actually, they're not their parents. I wonder if we're going to tell them. And, like, we have Virginia prepping with the common people. And then we have Hecate. So, speaking of this battle or this rising action, we have the Fab Five. They crash into the original Yggdrasil, which is massive. And they, you know, go inside and they meet up with Hecate and young Mars and there are all the people like living in the tree are like prepping for a rally or a battle as well. And it was just like, so are we expecting there to be like warfare on Donatalis? I mean, I guess because we keep hearing that there was like a battle when the sun and the moon twin fought on the pyramid and the island sunk. So basically, we just have a lot of people like getting ready for a lot of violence based on who's going to be the next rulers. Yeah, wait, wait, go back, go back. How we, we need to talk about how when Marathi says that. Isis and Osiris are not their parents. Yeah. Is that true? Well, I'm obviously not going to tell you. But I'm assuming that's true. So then I'm, once again, back to being confused. <laughs> Do they just yeah. take, are they just taking on the appearance of their parents? Did they kill their parent, their real parents and, like, take their place? Something like that? Or, like... Okay. I'm not going to tell you the answer. You will get an answer in the next reading, I promise you. It's it's kind of a yes and no situation as to their appearance. Again, I don't feel like I should tell you because I feel like it spoils something important. Well, if I had to guess that if it's a yes or no, I think that they killed their real parents. So they're not they're like biological parents mm-hmm. and took on the appearance or something or just became their parents so that they actually were their parents and maybe and raised them because obviously they talk about how they've planned this whole thing and that's why they taught them the things and like wouldn't let them like go out with friends and stuff. So I think that they actually were the people who raised them, but maybe they're not their actual biological parents by blood. Would you like me to confirm or deny? N- no, because that's a spoiler. Okay. 
I will say that you are onto something. You're not right, but you're not wrong either. Um, okay. Maybe they have multiple parents. I don't know. I'll have but to think either about it. way, I'm I'm not going to spoil. You guys know I'm very good at that. But you are you're definitely in the right track. So what Marethu is saying is both like right and wrong because I think at this point you can tell that like Isis and Osiris, they clearly like raise Josh and Sophie. Like they know everything about them. Like yeah. they know their clothes. They like they like they know everything about them. So. Isis and Osiris did raise Josh and Sophie. Did they possess the actual parents? I'm not going to tell you. And, like, the parents still exist, and then now they're just taking on those appearances because that's what they're familiar with? That's what it is. I'm not going to tell you. That's not right, but that, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> it's, it's something that you will – you'll you, there's no way you would guess this. Like, there, there's just no way you're going to guess the resolution. But either way – We've got some rising action because <laughs> Marethu is like, if we tell them that they're not their parents, maybe they won't feel that way. Anyway, also just a little bit of levity for our episode, Asia. We get Mars's original name on Donutalus. So Mars is the name that the Romans give him. And he has a name on Donutalus before he gets to Rome. Actually, it's the name that, that ancient Aztecs had for their war god, I believe. But apparently that was the name he had on Donutalus. And then when he went to rule the Aztecs, they gave him this name. I've written it out in the outline. Would you like to pronounce it for us? Absolutely not. <laughs> I refuse. Okay, for those of you who can't remember, it's H-U-I-T-Z-I-L-O-P-O-T-C-H-L-I. I looked it up, and I'm probably going to butcher it because I don't speak an- ancient Aztec. But I think it's... Huichilapotle. <laughs> okay. It's at, all I got was it sounded a little bit like Chipotle. Pochle. <laughs> Huichilopotle. Um, I'm not really sure if I'm doing it right. Huichilapotle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we like had Chipotle to throw like a, a pronunciation episode in, especially because the next series where we're doing is Twilight, and I don't think anyone has a hard There's to pronounce There's not going to be right? anything that's hard to pronounce. Thank goodness. Fun fact, though, so my brother, my actual brother's actual name, first name is Cullen, C-U-L-L-E-N, and he was obviously named that before these books were written. And people could never get his name right, ever, until, like, until these books came out, because people would, you know, in the U.S., they would just think it's Colin, C-O-L-I-N, and so, or they would think it was just a fancy spelling for Colin, and so people could not get his mm-hmm. name right ever until Twilight came out. And then people asked him if he'd been That's named so after Twilight. Funny. And he was like, I was born before these books were written. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> <laughs> Imagine like, no, my parents actually changed my name, you know. Correct. <laughs> when yeah. the story came out. So let's get back to Donatalis. <laughs> yeah, let's get back to our current story. But anyway, before everything with Mars and Hakate... We get the Fab Five. They crash into the original Yggdrasil, the world tree. And I just noted there when the like when they crash, like ships about to fall and Palamedes, like they're hanging from like ropes or something. And Shakespeare is like holding onto the remote the rope and Palamedes is holding on to Shakespeare and they're like worried it's gonna break or something. And so they're both like hanging and Palamedes is like oh I'm gonna let go because like we won't both survive so like I'll let go and drop so you can live and that just 
distinctly reminded me of the scene from Mulan 2 when Li Shang, it's Mulan is holding on to the rope, Li Shang is holding on to her, and he's like, I have to let go, we're both gonna die. And then he lets go. But spoiler, he ends up living, because you know it's a Disney movie. But I don't know, I just I love Mulan too. I was about to say, isn't Li Shang her like love interest? Yeah, but like have have you seen okay. Mulan 2, Charles? No, of course not. I've seen Mulan 1 a couple times. Because Mulan 2 is actually one of like the really good, at least in my opinion, one of the good Disney princess sequels. Also because, you know, just more Mulan, more Li Shang. Because it's when they're supposed to be getting married. But Somehow they end up on a vine and they're... Yeah, I mean, we already know that you don't, that you don't watch Disney okay. movies. Uh, it's not that I actively don't watch them. It's that I wasn't allowed to watch them as a child. <laughs> And now I'm too old. I'm too so old sad. to watch these movies. They're weird now. No, you're never, never too old to watch Disney movies. I mean, movies. I'm sure I would like them, but it's not like when I have time to go watch a movie, I'm not going to sit down and be like, you know what? I'm going to watch a one hour, one hour and 15 minute cartoon where they're singing randomly. That's literally what I do. <laughs> and I love musicals <laughs> I, more than anyone Plus else. For. Still. What Disney movie am I going to watch tonight? <laughs> Whereas I'm here like. Just by myself. Time to rewatch a Star Wars movie. But. Anyway, let's jump back to San Francisco. We have a huge array of characters. Anything you wanted to mention back in San Francisco before we wrap it up, Asia? Yes. So Blackhawk, he escapes the Nereids, and he says that he killed Nereus, the elder Nereus. And I, he just says it like nonchalantly because it's when Billy and Machiavelli are like talking about how I think – Billy is like, you know, we're the we're the redcoats and like saying like they're the only humans that because everyone else is an elder and he's like we're the ones who are gonna die or something like they they were making this whole like metaphor and it's a Star then Trek reference. Blackhawk yes. shows up. It's a what? It's a Star Trek reference. The red shirts are yeah. the ones who are disposable. Yeah, but anyway, so he's like, we're the disposable characters or whatever. And Blackhawk comes in and he's like, sometimes the redcoats win because he killed. An elder, and I was like, are we going to talk about that? Like, how did he kill him? I know. And he's, especially because we've gotten this, like, rising action for Blackhawk. Everyone's like, we don't know where he went. We saw him on the boat, and then we didn't see him. Where did Blackhawk go? And, like, they ask, like, all the characters mention it, like, five or six times. And, like, when Dia killed Hecate in book one, it was such a big deal. Like, every person that he spoke to afterwards was like, we know you killed Hecate. We're watching you. Like, it's a hard thing yeah. to kill an elder. And Blackhawk's like, yeah, kill the elder. What's next? And I was like, I mean, I guess, I guess because the world is ending, no one really cares. But I was like, this feels like a big deal. Yeah. I, I anyway. think it could just be, like, the circumstances. They've got way more. The elders have, they're in a war, basically. Yeah, this is true. And, I mean, it was a boss move. It was very impressive. Yeah. Speaking of bosses and people part of this rising action with Blackhawk, we have Paranel being an absolute boss. So Bastet calls her and is like, the Spartoi are coming. And this is when Prometheus and Eten have to go off. But Bastet hangs up on Paranel, and Paranel redials it just so that she can get the last word. And she's like, I will destroy you. And it's funny because Tsagagala had that same thought earlier on. Tsagagala was like, Bastet. When I, if, the, if I survive this and this is over, I'm going to destroy Bastet. And then Paranel just is like, on the phone, she's like, if I survive this, I will destroy you. And then she, like, manages to melt the phone into Bastet's hand. And, oh, Paranel's such a boss. Oh, she's so yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I really like that scene. That, that was another funny Paranel scene. It reminded me of when she escaped 
Alcatraz. Yes, <laughs> little 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 moments. royal wave. You can't see this because it's a podcast, but I'm doing the Queen of England wave. <laughs> but yeah, so like we said, we with Sagagalal, she had been talking about how Bastet in particular, her greed is part of what prevented Danu Talis from reaching its full potential of, you know, having a great world of elders and Humani, like them working together. And, you know, it's just funny to me that Bastet is seen as so terrible. Like she's clearly such a terrible character and her change she got turned into a cat. And, like, I don't understand why everyone Which says... Which is an awesome thing to be. Like, why that's the worst thing ever? Like, like we said, we know she has a big mascot head and, like, she's a giant cat head. But, like, I definitely think Ariopinop, the old spider, got dealt the worst hand of all. Like, who would want to be a spider? That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. I think maybe it's the, like, the half-human, half-cat that's so <laughs> awful. <laughs> Every time we talk about Bastet, I just think of it. <laughs> a huge mascot head. Cat. Also, I don't know if we've mentioned this on the podcast, but since we started the show, I adopted a cat, and so we live with a cat now. And so now we just imagine whenever we talk about the podcast, yeah, we talk about my cat's head, but like Giant. ten times larger on a human. <laughs> I think it's so bad, though. The reason everyone's like, Bastet got really, like, unlucky is because she has the paws. <laughs> like, like she's, like, human, but, like, with, like, cat gloves and mascot head. <laughs> like, it's like someone, like, took a... <laughs> like, at least Ariapanop is, like, entirely a spider. Ew, but, like, that's so gross. <laughs> I mean, yes, but, like... Like, those two things are not comparable. That's true. I mean, I would obviously rather be a cat, but, you know... <laughs> I, I, don't, I just looked over at my cat. She's napping. But I think that, yeah, maybe also, like, mythologically, people don't care that much about spiders as much as, I don't know, as being, like, half cat, half human. Also, like, I think Bastet, like, like apparently she was supposed no to be really... no sense to me. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's a good justification. I think people forget that Ariop and Nop got... A short end of his well, stick. also because I am curious because like if they're saying you know the change was bad for Bastet and that's why she's a cat like what did Ariopinop do like why is she a spider specifically and yeah, not just she's like a half good spider like too. a whole spider and like like my theory was that the reason Prometheus and and Endor and Mars didn't change is because they were good people who supported the humans and Ariopinop also was good and supported the humans. Yeah. So why did she get... Yeah, she actually definitely got a pretty bad end of this. Also because she can't really like use magic anymore. Like the other elders, like I feel like they probably have some control over magic, but now that she's just a big spider, like I don't know. Maybe there's just not an answer. Yeah. But... Either way, Tsugagawal, you know, she's like, I'm going to destroy Bastet if I get the chance. And and then she goes off to beat the Spartor, which, like I said, we haven't seen yet, but I can't wait. It's going to be an amazing battle, I'm sure of it. And that kind of wraps up our San Francisco characters. I mean, we have Nick and Paranel. They get across the island. They fight some Nereids. It's fine. Like, there wasn't a lot happening. But before we finish up San Francisco, I do want to highlight a little quote from Niten. This is way back when he and Prometheus are fighting. And it seems to, in my research, um, it seems to have become one of the more famous and recognizable quotes from the series. Because right before the Spartoi attack, Niten and Prometheus are chatting, and Niten says, no man is ever just one thing. 
And I just really like that. I think that's inspirational and, you know, give it to you, listener, as your daily inspiration. And especially like these days during the pandemic, during quarantine, we've all had to like find new hobbies, find new aspects of ourselves. So I think it's kind of nice. Like no man is ever just one thing. You don't have to always be just one, you know, you don't always have to just be the same. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of good quotes in this series. There's been a lot of like inspirational quote of the day kind of thing. Yeah. There was that Joan one about like humans die, but ideas don't or something like that. Yeah. Maybe we'll make a quote board. Yeah. Let's go ahead and go back to Donna Tallis and let's specifically talk a little bit more about Isis and Osiris. So like we learned that Isis and Osiris planned everything that's happened with the twins, them being found by the Flamels, they planned that, them being awakened and trained by Isis and Osiris essential enemies. And basically it's just such an elaborate plan. And to me that just really highlights how they really just think of the twins as pawns that they can control, you know, for their ultimate goal of having Donu Talis not sink. And we also get confirmation that Sophie and Josh are the original twins. And and in that version, the version that's like already happened or is, I, this is very confusing with all the time jumps. But in that version, they both die in the fight and Donu Talis falls but Isis and Osiris, their plan is to change that by making the twins the new rulers of Donutalus and then saving the world of Donutalus while destroying Earth. Yeah, so the plan is basically, as the prophecy says, the two that are one, the one that is all. Basically, Isis and Osiris are interpreting that to mean that the twins are one and that that one is the world they're going to destroy is humanity, the 21st century, and the world they're saving is Donutalus. So I might be wrong, but I think the time the time travel plot line kind of works like this. You have history. You have Donutalus, Donutalus falling, the twins of legend being reborn and or being born, and that's Sophie and Josh. And then Isis and Cyrus, they had the time, like history as it was flowing along, had it such that the twins would come back in time and they would basically be given the chance one more time, whether they're going to sink. And like, basically they are the last, I believe that they are sort of the last chance. And again, we will definitely get an answer to this next reading, I believe. But basically like, it's kind of like a second shot. But like, so they have a, because like the Isis and Osiris, like of Don Tallis, like they basically like had a prophecy, like, you know, they saw what has happened, like, what is planned? Because, you know, if obviously if they're living in their current time of being on Donatolis, they know that, like, war is coming, and they've seen this is what is supposed to happen. You know, the twins come back from the future, and Donatolis falls, and basically, like, we're going to change that. So they jump in time to raise them and then bring them back. So, like, it, it's... Their plan involves living through history and then bringing the twins back. So they live. So everyone oh, else in like Donatella. The, the elders survived. Is, the elders survived Donatella. I forget that they 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 obviously are also alive. Okay, that makes some more sense. I get they it. They survived. So they survived. And now they're like, let's like go there's back. There's one and redo of it. the twins. I see. Correct. Or okay. even like Isis and Osiris made it so that there's one redo. Basically, there's one chance to redo the twins, but basically, like Abraham saw that Isis and Osiris were going to do this, so there's. That's why he writes the codex. He's basically prepping the twins 
because Isis and Osiris are going to ensure one chance to reverse everything. And that's where we are. So basically, Josh and Sophie are the twins of legend. And that's why they obviously don't know, because in their reality, it hasn't happened yet. So, like, they still have... Basically, by going back, they're making it... Now they have the freedom to do something differently, whereas before, obviously, they knew what they were going to do. They were going to make Donatello's fall. And this is kind of giving them another option. Yeah. And so now, like... And Josh and Sophie, like, if they were to leave... If they were to, like, stay as rulers of Donatello's, like... That would end all the rest of human history, but they would be okay because they're on Donatellus now. Mm-hmm. And I just want to talk about the Swords of Power because they also, you know, have very fancy gold and silver armor with like little crossed sheaths on the back for the Swords of Power. And they give Josh Excalibur and Florent, and they give Sophie Joyous and Durandal. And personally, because we were told that Sophie is the Moon Twin and her element is water, she should have the sword of ice, which is Excalibur. I know they give, they give Josh Excalibur to like help like temper the impulses of Clara, but it's not, I'm like, logically, she should have the water sword. Well, also aren't Excalibur and Clara twin blades? Yes. But aren't Clara and Excalibur, like they go together, so it makes sense that obviously she's not a coward, that's Josh. It makes sense because also, like, how we've seen the swords, those ones are always together. And also, to me, it makes sense that, like, even if we say those are the better swords just because we learned about them more, it makes sense they go to Josh because Josh is the main one who's been attached to the swords. Sophie doesn't need the swords because she's powerful all on her own. That's how I see it. I know, but she should have the water sword. She should have Excalibur because she's the moon twin. But I don't think of the Excalibur as a water sword. Like, if you, like it's ice. It's the opposite of Clarant. And, I mean, Which I also don't fire. remember what the other ones do. Earth and air. I mean, they're like sand, wind, magma, and ice. Because we haven't really seen them in action. And also, again, to me, the swords are like extras. And like, to me, Sophie's fine on her own. So like, the swords are just extra weapons. Like, whereas Josh like relies heavily on the swords. Yeah, because he's a coward and he's not that talented. (laughs) Well, anyway, I clearly am wrong because he ends up with both of them anyway. So... He ends up with Clarant and Excalibur, so who cares what I think? I just thought that she should have her water sword. Anyway, let's go to my theory, though, with that Josh is Marethew, because I have lots of points to my theory. I'm going to be really disappointed if I'm wrong, because it makes sense to me. But I wrote down that I think he also has to be Josh, because when Marethew's talking to D, he tells D that they've met multiple times before, and that D basically made him immortal which i think his immortality marathi's immortality is linked in some way to the swords because charles mentioned that a couple episodes ago and like maybe the soul you said like maybe the swords turn into his hook and marathi specifically says he is human so he's not an elder or next generation or next generation earth lord ancient he's a human (laughs) (laughs) so that means he can't be and like also, because, I mean, we know that, like, he has light hair, light eyes. The only human we've met with that description is Josh, right? Yes. And let me just remind everyone that Asia just mentioned the whole thing about the hooks. And when she mentioned the first time that her theory was that Josh is Matthew, I my thing about the, maybe the swords become the hook I only thought of that in the moment because Asia said that. I, If that's true, and maybe it's true and it's way set back deep in my conscience, 
I cannot remember where the hook comes from. And I do know Marethu's identity, which is why I have not spoiled it. But if I'm right about the swords and the hook, that really is like me reading it this time and being like, it would make sense for the swords to become the hook. Like that, my, my prediction of that and Asia's prediction of Marethu being Josh, those are based on our readings this time. Like, I obviously have not made a theory on Marethu's identity because I've known the whole time. But I, the swords becoming the hook is only my theory because Asia was like, hmm, I wonder if Marethu is Josh. Okay, well, more points for me then. I have more points. Go for Marethu, it. Marethu also says that he doesn't have an aura because he is death slash dead slash not alive. Like, D says, like, he doesn't have a heartbeat. He's not breathing. So, like, he's not alive. So, and that's why he doesn't have an aura. But besides that, he still has immense power, which I was like, maybe that comes from the hook, like the swords or something. Or whoever obviously turned him into this, I would assume, maybe gave him powers. And then also Josh mentions at one point about how he's ha- he's had a lot of out-of-body experiences. And I don't know, I thought that could somehow point to him being Matthew. I don't know if that's an actual connection, but I was like, that seems interesting. And then when Matthew talks to Virginia, he says that she was kind to him once or will be kind to him in the future, which also points to him being Josh because the main person that Virginia has been nice to is like besides D is Josh. Like she's kind of always been like nice and like she helped teach him air magic and stuff. So like and obviously we haven't seen Virginia be nice to that many people. And then my last point is that Josh and Sophie, when they get their armor from their rooms, they put on chainmail under their armor. And I bet that he still has on some kind of jeans because he they talked about they would wear jeans. And Marethu's outfit is described as he has a chainmail like top on and jeans. So therefore, I think it's him. Well, we'll have to wait another week until you get your answer. Obviously, I cannot confirm or deny. Um... I want to talk about it so badly, especially because there's a clue as to his identity that I mentioned like four or five episodes ago that I I just like I didn't notice the first time of the series and I just can't wait to talk about it. Again, I think like good on you for having as much evidence as you have. It's kind of again where I made those evidence about Selena Beauregard and Percy Jackson. You know, we love theories as long as you can back them up. So that was great. And we'll see next week. You will get your answer very, very soon. So we basically need to keep reading because, you know, that kind of wraps us up. You know, we're going to get the answer on Marethu. We're going to find out more about Isis and Osiris. Like this week we found out that like Isis has a cinnamon aura and they both have black toenails. Like that's all we've gotten. That was weird. I was wondering what that's going to mean because they like kept pointing it out. They're like the dark parents. They're like... Like dark Charmander, <laughs> like black fingernails. That's so weird. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely get some answers on those. And Michael Scott tweeted back at us, and he did confirm our amended correct order for the title. So Nicholas is then alchemist. D is the magician. Paranel is the sorceress. Josh is the necromancer. Niccolo is the warlock, and Sophie is the enchantress. So we were right. So then that definitely means if Josh is the necromancer. He's death mass. He has death magic or whatever. So he's clearly Matthew. That like, if that doesn't tell you right there, that it has to be him. 
I cannot confirm or deny. We have to wrap this episode up because Asia is just going to like get me to spoil and I'm not going to do that. My head is going to explode. I just can't wait to know. Yep. Well, I'm sure we'll both be reading as soon as we finish this episode. But this finishes the book. We've got just had rising action. So let's get there. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up today, Asia? I'm just, I'm looking forward to finding out who Marethew is. I'm looking forward to finding out what's going on with Isis and Osiris. I'm looking forward to see what is going to happen with Sophie and Josh's relationship. And if Sophie does not cut him out of her life, I'm going to be disappointed. Or I don't know. I feel like, I think I mentioned, like, I think, like, maybe, like, if if Josh is Marethew, like, maybe they both died or maybe Josh sacrificed himself to death, and by doing that, maybe he got a second chance. So, like, that's how he became a Matthew. I have no idea. I'm just really excited to finally get final answers since, you know, this is the last section. Since we will be finishing the Enchantress for next week. So, if you're reading along with us, go ahead and read to the end of the book for next week. And that will mean that we have officially finished our second series for this podcast amazing and like i said you can like we always say you can stay in touch with us with any predictions questions theories on the nerd party website you just hit over there nerdparty.com slash contact you select throwback paperback that'll help you send us an email and you can also get in touch with the network generally on twitter at join nerd party on instagram at the nerd party or on facebook.com slash the nerd party to find me on both twitter or instagram i'm at ce sheeland and I'm at Asia Bonia on Twitter and at Asia.Bonia on Instagram. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends. And of course, check out the other podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. And make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss us next week. Yep, hit that subscribe. Have a good one. We'll see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.